Welcome everyone to, I was going to say Daily Kofefi, but it's been like months since it's been daily. I don't know what my problem is, Carrie. Welcome to Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space. Today's Monday, June 22nd. I'm your host, Carter Learn, and I'm joined by the bad man, Majama, from a uh, undisclosed location. Undisclosed location. Undisclosed? Okay. Yeah. Uh, hi, Carter. You're in your bunker, sort of. <laughs> bunker. Yeah. Happy Friday. Wait, Monday. It's Monday. Happy yeah. Monday. <laughs> Carrie was right. telling me not to start on time so that we could train you all to expect her to be late. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the balance we have. I'm like start on time. She wants Carter to Carter and I are very and... much a yin and a yang in many ways. I think that's yeah. why we do so well together as a team. Yes. You're you're like we have to be early. I'm like we have to be late. <laughs> I'd, I actually don't, I want to be early, but I don't want to go live early. I just want to be ready. I'm very, I'm very, I don't know. I've got like a, I'm always nervous about being late. I don't know what it is. Maybe there, it's some psychological thing. Who knows? Um, I was, I've always been late and, you know, I was yes. born almost, almost a month late. So it I was born early. early. So there you go. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> I was born early. So. Made Shock. sure. Didn't want to keep anyone waiting. Um, hey, if it's your first time here, you yeah, are thanks. watching Confessions Break on Unsafe Space. Um, this is one of our live, we do a live show every Monday and Friday, and you guys can join in the chat. And um, we also do a show called Deprogrammed. We have a, a couple of new episodes of Deprogrammed out recently. Deprogrammed is more of a deep dive into my old belief system, which we most often call as social justice ideology. Um, that the most recent interviews, we got to talk to Benjamin Boyce. If you haven't seen that one yet, that was great. He sort of um, discussed using Evergreen College as a roadmap for what we could possibly see happening in the future now that my ideology has become mainstream. Um, and then we also got to interview Yasmin Mohammed, which was a great one about uh, the similarities between Islam and social justice ideology, the similarities and the differences. Yeah. Yeah, those were some good. Those were some good interviews. So, uh, and we have more coming up. I think we're filming yep. a couple this week, one or two. I don't know. Yeah, We've got a lot going on. Got some great ones. I'm so excited for you guys to see the ones coming out. Like, it's just been, you know, in times of great chaos and destruction. I really, it's going to sound hippy dippy, but I really believe that everything balances out and that light light rushes in after a darkness. And I know I've talked with a lot of you guys who are feeling discouraged and I at times am feeling discouraged about how overwhelming and how ever present this belief system is, has become. But I really do believe it, 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 the darkness is going to be balanced by light. And in much the same way, we're in a time of great chaos and upheaval and destruction. And, but it's also, there's opportunity and everything like that. And so we've, we've had opportunity now to talk to people from various backgrounds and points of view. And I'm really excited about some of the discussions we're going to be able to have on the channel. So, yeah, it certainly, yeah. it certainly gets people talking that wouldn't have in the past, right? Because they recognize this common enemy of like, Oh, what's going on with the world? Suddenly, you know, same people are having conversations with each other. Um, where they may have disagreed enough in the past to not do that. Uh, quick super chat, and I want to put this one up right away because it's from Beverly C. Beverly is awesome. She has, uh, so first of all, thank you, Beverly. She says, after watching Unsafe Space for two months straight, two months straight, 
Uh, she's finished all 420 episodes and clips. Do I win the title of number one fan now? Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> you win the title of number one fan, possibly wow. in a creepy way. But um, <laughs> we should uh, we should thank Beverly because not only has she watched all the episodes, she is going to work on making clips of episodes. So um, shout out to Beverly. Thank you. That's uh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know, Carrie, there's a, I, I actually feel like there wasn't a lot of news over the weekend, but I do have several things I want to talk about, but I kind of want to play it by ear today and see what you want to talk about. Uh, what's, what have you got going on in, in your brain? Well, have you followed Google's recent, Google and NBC News, the recent no. uh, ker- kerfluffle about the Federalist? Oh, no. I mean, I paid attention to the Federalist, so they, they yanked the ads from the Federalist and Zero Hedge, yeah. I think, last week. And they and they said that they were going to hold the Federalist accountable for comments, even even the comment section, yeah. uh, which is which is rich coming from the company that owns YouTube. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to hold them uh, responsible for the comments section. Uh, I I don't know how. I mean, uh, hypocrisy is obvious. Like, is there a development me, there? Or? Not for me. No, I mean, it's just another story that we haven't covered yet of the continuing progression of censorship from big social. And yeah. and like you said, it's got to the point where it's not even a blip on the radar because we're so used to it now. We've become desensitized to it where this huge corporation, evil corporation, is like, okay, we're going to start. We're going to push the censorship forward just a little bit more. And now we're going to start censoring the Federalists, which is – Nothing extreme on the Federalist. It's right wing. It's not extreme. And I then, wouldn't even and then, call it like, right wing all the time. It's not even right wing. It's like conservative, but like, sort of libertarian ish anyway. sometimes. Like, yeah, totally. It's not, they're not talking about like censoring a, a Nazi publication or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's That's not. That's what's crazy about it. And we're cool with that. And then there's like legacy media journalists tweeting about it and celebrating it and saying they're calling out hate. They're censoring hate. That's because that's because the Federalist is taking over their their circulation. Like people read the Federalist rather than the Washington Post. Like they they love it because they're just celebrating the downfall of their enemies. That's all. Yeah, right. it's just yeah. disgusting. We've gotten so inured to it and just used to it. And I'm just I'm ready for people to you know all these people. We talked about this early on back when after Trump won. You see all these people from the left who are hitting the streets like. Hashtag the resistance. And I, at the time I was thinking, what, who, what are you resisting? You're not resisting any. You're not the resistance. You're for the status quo. You're for the mainstream culture. That's what you're for. You, you're, you're resisting one candidate, one politician that you don't like becoming president. One. But all of culture, all of academia, all of the social media companies agree with you. How are you the resistance? You're, you are the status quo. And now we're really seeing that come into fruition now that this my old belief system has become so dominant culturally. I've seen people pointing out, I think Melissa Chen was one of the ones that maybe was Melissa Chen pointed out that, you know, you are not, you are not resisting anything. You are not uh, uh, the pushback. You are not the rebels. When every major corporation is speaking what you're speaking, every, you know, all the churches are starting to fall in line all of entertainment, social media companies, everyone, the, pol- the whole politicians, the ones on the left, definitely speaking your ideology and many on the right, just too afraid to push back against it. So you you guys are, you're, you're nothing. You are the face of, 
insipid status quo. Of course they are. Of course they are. And actually, the fact that they're resisting, quote, hashtag resist, that the fact that it's aimed at Trump, it should tell you everything that you need to know. It's not about, um, okay, uh, we have a lot of new people to show. Let's, let's back up a little bit. I hadn't voted for 20 years, maybe, um, until I've, I did vote for Trump in the 2016 election, but I'm going to tell you why. I, I haven't voted because I don't believe in uh, either party. Uh, I was much more of a libertarian for most of that time, and then eventually a voluntarist, uh, which is like libertarian squared, I guess, uh, to some people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't vote, and I didn't vote because I didn't want to legitimize either party. And I recognized that they both had, they were both basically evil, doing the same thing, getting us into wars that we didn't belong in. You know, one used different language than the other, but the, the policies that they passed were basically the same. The Republicans didn't conserve anything. Um, and what they did conserve was stuff that I didn't agree with, like they fought against gay marriage, um, which I was for. So, you know, the, the I, I didn't vote for anyone. I didn't want to legitimize the system. And that's, by the way, that's a position that a lot of... Uh, uh, libertarian-leaning people, small government people take because they, they don't want to legitimize the system. They want they think not voting is the right thing to do. Uh, we can get into that later. But I voted for Trump not because of his politics, not because of his policies, but because he made his he made it very clear what he was fighting. He was fighting a cultural war. He's fighting the cultural war, and his enemy is the media. Right? His enemy is. <laughs> That the, the cathedral, his enemy is that the, like he was the only candidate to stand up on principle against social justice crap. Now, he's not very articulate with respect. He's like a bull in a china shop. He's not, you know, I would much rather have Jordan Peterson sit across the, the you know, the, the, the sofa in an interview and explain to everyone on CNN why social justice is crap. But... At least he's knocking tables over and breaking China and pissing off the right people. You can tell. Uh, you you can don't tell. get to choose and, sometimes right, the, right. the vessel. <laughs> That's right. And and the established Republican, and this is the other thing, the establishment Republicans hated him because he's not a Republican. And again, I don't agree with a lot of his policies. I, I really don't. However, he was the sledgehammer that I think a lot of people felt we needed to just attack this growing um you know you call it insipid it is it's an it's an insipid pseudo-marxism which is just yeah seeped into everything and he's at least he's bashed sometimes he hits good people when he bashes with his sledgehammer and sometimes he swings and misses but he's generally pointed in the right direction bashing he's a blunt instrument <laughs> yes yeah um and i have a little aside here yeah or again for anyone who doesn't follow I'm not going to give you my whole background, but I'm a little different than Carter. I've, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Um, uh, up until 2018 was the first year I voted for a Republican. But um, I, I was a social justice warrior for 20 years. And uh, I, I was one of those people that cried the night Trump won. So, you know, there's some people who and, and now I kind of think that's funny. But I but I do it's have empathy fun. for people who did cry that night because I did. And I was terrified. Um, so we come from different perspectives, but hey, hey, here's something about Trump that you're making me think of. I'm also a pretty new Christian, and Carter's an atheist, but he humors me once in a while. Um, this verse made me think of Trump when I read it a couple months ago. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
That's a God chose what is yeah. God <laughs> chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I love that verse. Well, I mean, it think about me. Trump, right? He's like a reality TV. Yeah. He's like a gaudy reality TV dude who's, he's the one exposing the media. Yeah, he's the one. <laughs> and it kind of helped me understand that. And you don't have to be a Christian to be, to maybe get some value from that. I mean, to think that people, so first of all, ideas and ideology, I think of as like a living thing, right? It possesses people. Like Marx is dead. But Marx's ideas live on and they evolve and grow and change. And now they are currently there's this 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 SJW belief system is this social justice stuff. It's basically a form of Marxism that has evolved to be about power and identity. And you can believe, like I do, that people can be um, tools of an ideology that can be possessed by an ideology. And if you're a Christian, you can view that in a maybe a positive way. You can be a tool of God without being a perfect vessel or a perfect tool and without even being a Christian, I believe people, I believe God uses all kinds of people. Well, certainly Foolish I believe ones. lots of people are tools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. I had to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, mm. thanks for humor. No, Carrie, this is uh that bring that leads. That was a great segue to a super chat that Blackbeard mm -hmm. had. Thank you, Blackbeard. He says, I'm honestly starting to believe this ideology is a mind virus that downloads itself and destroys your ability to use logic and reason. You're believing that, Blackbeard, because it is a mind virus that downloads itself and <laughs> destroys your ability to use logic and reason. It That's exactly what it is. It does that, exactly. Uh, it's necessary for propagation to, um, to uh, disable the defense mechanism of the host and reason and logic are the primary defense mechanisms of a rational mind so they've got to be disabled uh but yeah i mean i i just look this wasn't a, i didn't mean to like rant pro I, it's not a pro trump rant but i i do want to say like this is a for me this has never been about politics this is about culture this is about philosophy and i i i don't have a problem with people who hate trump and won't vote for trump like I get it. I don't like a lot about Trump either. Um, you know, we have a difference of opinion maybe on tactics uh, for what to, to move forward. I mean, some people, we have fundamental differences of opinions morally. But uh, I, I do want to talk a, a minute about this because I've, I talked to Mikey about this extensively, actually, when he was visiting uh, San Francisco recently. And I think it's relevant to what you just brought up. You've got all these corporations saying exactly they're, they're speaking the woke. They're reading from the woke hymnal or them from the woke. They're like they're singing the hymns of the woke, right? They are they're in their pew spouting the, mm. the prayers of the woke. And and yes, if you think you're resistance, that's hilarious to me, right? Uh, obviously, because you're not resisting anything, and it's not stunning and brave to say I'm against racism, like. Hmm. Good for you. Yes. Right. Nice job, Melissa Milano. You're against racism. Uh, <laughs> how brave of you. But um, you know what? A lot of people wonder, like, why the hell are corporations doing this? This is a question that Mikey had. He was like, I don't understand why are corporations like it seems like they're pushing for bigger government. They're pushing for socialism. And they're even pushing this like 
racehorse. Like, why do they want this kid? Why would a large corporation do this? It seems, aren't they capitalists? That, that was Mikey's question. Aren't they capitalists? Um, and I, I, I want to address this because there's a, a few reasons that I think this is, and I think maybe not everyone sees corporations for what they are and, and the CEOs of corporations. First of all, you've heard the phrase design by committee, and we all know that's not a good thing, right? You don't, you don't get good basically anything by committee. Like co comedy by committee. Great right. example. <laughs> it's really <laughs> bad, right? Well, uh, public corporations are run by committee. Keep that in mind. They are... They're a board, and that board votes. And yes, they put a CEO in place, and that CEO is is the, you know, you can look at them as a mini authoritarian in the company with control, but really their, their hands are tied by the board. So um, so first of all, right from the get-go, they're not these, uh, corporations aren't these ideological entities that are like, we're a capitalist, and we believe blah, blah, blah. And like, that's not, they're committees. Second of all, they're pragmatists. They're committees of pragmatists. They just want to make more money as a corporation. That's generally their rule, unless they've been converged upon by social justice warriors, in which case they, they will actually change their, their goal to propagating this mind virus. But in general, they just want to make more money, right? And so let's talk about a few things. One of them is um, these corporations are part of a corrupt monetary system, especially large public corporations. And there is a wealth gap in this country. There is a growing wealth gap in this country. Now, there's nothing morally, there's nothing wrong with a wealth gap, like theoretically, right? However, it does create unrest. Um, and there is something wrong with a wealth gap when it's obtained uh, through coercion. And the wealth gap- And that corruption. You're, Right, corruption's a, I would say, a form of coercion, and a well when when the government's involved, right? So the wealth gap that you're seeing now is actually maintained, not all of it, but a lot of it is actually maintained through uh, coercion. And I've talked about this previously. And we don't have to get into the Federal Reserve, but we have a banking system that is in bed with the government through the Federal Reserve and the structure of our monetary policy. And the rich elites get money before you do. They get to spend it before uh, price inflation has occurred. They get to socialize their losses and get bailouts. So there is a there's an incentive to keep the system going for the people in power. It, you can think of it as a proto-oligarchy, right? They This is the way that they can maintain power is to maintain this corrupt system. And that includes, by the way, not just the monetary policy, but regulations. And I've talked about this before, but we have a lot of new people on the show. Regula large corporations love being regulated in general. And I know that's counterintuitive, but what corporations are afraid of, what, what ensconced big players are afraid of is young upstarts that do a better, more efficient job and steal market share and grow to kick their ass. How do you stop an upstart from doing that? You burden them with regulations. Now that's not mm -hmm. something a company can do without the government's help, right? A company can't pass regulations. Facebook can't just say social media companies must do blah, 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 blah. They can't do that on their own, but they can with the government. They can get the government's help to do that. And that locks out competition. And it's one of the most effective ways to lock out competition is to have a tight relationship with regulators as a large company, because a large company can afford 
teams of lawyers. Facebook, if, if meeting regulations cost $150 million a year, Mark Zuckerberg can sneeze that. He doesn't care. It's fine. They can, they can pay it. Can two guys in a garage with a Facebook competitor pay that? Never. No. Right? So they will stop competition. Regulations stop competition. There's also um, something called regulatory capture. Regulations are often written by people from the industry because they need, quote, experts. So they get absorbed by the government, write the regulation, go back into the private sector to help have a, a relationship now with the regulators. It's very incestuous. And the regulatory agencies are in bed with the companies that they regulate by, I would say by design, but like by default, that has to be that way. And so um, this idea that they are somehow capitalists that are just trying to be capitalists, they're pragmatists trying to make money and secure their position of power. That's what they're trying to do. And a tool available to them is the government. It's a major tool available to them. And so, so that's why they want bureaucracy, and that's why they want regulation, and that's why they're not afraid of more, quote, socialism. Even in the socialism that people are talking about, no one's because talking about keeps, nationalizing the Amazon. competition, just, just for my little mind that gets turned off by all this stuff. Sorry. It keeps competition at bay, and it keeps them it in keeps, a position of power. Yeah, because no one's talking about actually, like, nationalizing Facebook, right? They're talking about... Regulating them, which makes Facebook like a default monopoly. That's a great position for Facebook to be in, right? So they are, they're behaving in sort of pragmatic ways that keep them in power and keep them uh, funded, right? They, they want mm -hmm. money and power. Okay, so why support disruptive social movements like Black Lives Matter? Well, and, and the riots. Well, <laughs> they need us to be fighting each other because otherwise... Remember Occupy Wall Street? That was a threat to them because what started to happen with Occupy oh, yeah. Wall Street was you had people on the right. You had Tea Party kind of like people and socialist people both going, hey, something's fishy about this Wall Street relationship <laughs> with the Federal Reserve and the government generally. And like suddenly two sides were kind of saying like, yeah, there's something real here, right? And yes, libertarian people were saying, you know, they had different solutions, but they were recognizing a common problem. We can't have that. If, if I'm going to interrupt here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So for anyone who's new to this channel, I've talked about this before, but I had I went down to Occupy Wall Street in New York. I was working with comedians at the time. And we were doing a documentary there, uh, part partially filmed there. And uh, I had friends who were in it who have t since talked about how my old ideology, social justice or intersectionality, whatever word you want to use for it, basically – infiltrated Occupy, became dominant, caused a ton of infighting over who's the most oppressed, and destroyed the whole movement. This is a cancerous That's belief very effective, system. by the way. Think about it's how effective, effective that is for the elites. Yeah, right? it will eat something from the inside out, and it will change the mission statement or the goals of that organization or church or group or whatever it is. It, it changes it. Once it's taken hold and taken root and converges, then it becomes dominant. And whatever was the original purpose of that group, in the case of Occupy Wall Street, coming together to fight corruption, you know, that that favors the elite, that becomes subservient to the belief system. Right. And think yeah. about if you're if you're one of those, uh, let's say you're a, a crappy hedge fund manager who lost billions of dollars, and 
and you get bailed out so you can kind of go back to work and not have to pay that billions of dollars and actually keep your house in private jet and everything's fine for you because you got bailed out. Um, well, it's really, you might really, really support social justice if it's going to dismantle Occupy Wall Street for you. Like, that's a, that's a pretty valuable tool. <laughs> like, oh, can you infiltrate all the groups that are having a look at uh, how the monetary system works and how those in power and close to the purse strings exploit it at the expense of the poor. By the way, every dollar the Federal Reserve prints, it hurts the poor the most, right? Because that inflation, poorer people have to spend a larger percentage of their income on essential goods like food, right? And rent. Yeah. And so inflation hurts them a lot more than it hurts the guy who's like, oh, I got to buy a smaller yacht because of inflation. Like, what the hell does he care? He still eats, right? It hurts the poor a lot. And that's one of the primary means they have for, like, with this money that, they, they, that they're using for bailouts and everything else, this is all, infl it's all inflationary. So this is great for that Wall Street dude. It's great yeah. for big money guys because they're like, oh, good. You're going to fight amongst each other over who's more oppressed and forget about me? Go for it. Just stop yeah. fighting us. <laughs> fight amongst yourselves. That's what this is about. The race war, the ginning up of the race war, this is them wanting you to be distracted and hate each other so that you don't look at the Actually. actual enemy, right? They're yeah. the actual enemy. And it's not because they're a corporation and it's not because they're rich. It's because they are part of a, a an ex, and I, I'm going to use this word, I was going to say exploitative, but I mean actually a, a coercive system, right? A system whereby your, the value of your money is controlled by a few people in power and and, and by fiat, by dictate. That's why it's called fiat currency by the Bitcoiners, right? This, it's controlled by fiat. And, and it's accessible to very few people at the top actually have access to that system. Everyone else is at the affect of that system and not in a good way. And they don't want you fighting that. And politicians don't want you fighting that because that system is what politicians use to promise you goodies and to do whatever, like this is, that's where their goodies come from. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna fund it however, well, we're gonna fund it by using this system. It's all, they're all yeah. together, right? And that's why corporations support this stuff. It's no surprise that Amazon's running Black Lives Matter stuff all over the front of their page, right? And it's, it's no surprise that these companies that, what was it? carry 266 something companies on Ashley's list before it got taken down. It's no surprise yeah. that all, literally all of these companies are like, yay, Antifa, yay, Black Lives Matter. Of course they are. Of course they are. They want you to they believe the that the big problem in America is the race war. That's what they want you to believe. And, and, and it's not even just that. I mean, that might be one factor, but I think another factor is literally they just go along with what's in fashion. They just go along with what's yeah, in they're vogue. And this as is, well. mm -hmm. they're yeah, they're pragmatists as well. They're pragmatists, and this is what's in fashion. This is the fa dominant culture. That's also why you will see people on your timeline on social media. I've seen quite a few people who fall into this demographic. Women who previously posted nothing but uh, selfies or pictures that tried to portray the perfect and idyllic family life. And I have the perfect life. Let me broadcast my perfect life who are now doing nothing but broadcasting this ideology, it's the same thing that motivates those individual women that's motivating the companies, which is this is in vogue and this is in fashion. And and if your whole persona is about 
keeping up with the Joneses and keeping up appearances and you're worried about what everyone thinks of you, then you're going to go along like a lemming. You're, you're going to shift with the wind, whatever's in vogue. And this is in vogue now. And I think it's the same thing for companies. Is this in vogue? Let's go along with this. Everyone, oh, Airbnb has put out a statement. Spotify has put out a statement. We better hurry up and put out ours. You know, every company's doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I'm just, I'm so sick of, I started trying to reply to sometimes when I would get the company emails, but most of the, you couldn't reply to the message. They wouldn't okay. let you, but I wanted to say like done, like not using you anymore. I don't need my uh, music service to tell me about any type of sociopolitical movement or right. ideology. Right. I need you to deliver music to me that I want to hear. And I don't need you to curate playlists for me that you think I should listen to, like looking down on me and scolding me and saying, this is what you should be listening to and doing that to everyone. It's no different than when I was a kid and, you know, my fundamentalist Christian relatives would look down on me and scold me and give me, a James Dobson focus on the family tape for Christmas or for my birthday present to listen to, because that's what I need to listen to. You know what I mean? You need this. You need this. It's like, you need God. Well, you need social justice. No, I don't want to be lectured to by my, by my ride sharing service. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to want to clarify. I don't disagree that this is that the, um, the final stimulus to action is a is just conformity is to, to fit in with with society like i i totally agree that this is just a conformity play um however i would say that i'm trying to answer the question of like why is this conformity play allowed why aren't they why are they okay with this conformity play on a mass scale why is everyone okay with it yeah. and the answer is in my view the answer is it doesn't threaten them. It actually helps them, right? What what incentive yeah. do they have to, to stand up to this? None. Yeah. This is a great idea for them, right? There are there are examples, though, of corporations that I think in the past have shot themselves in the foot. One of my favorite – this is one of the reasons I hate Hollywood, by the way. And I, but I think it's funny. There's a little bit of schadenfreude with Hollywood. Because uh, I, I spent some time um, helping them fight piracy. I eventually got out of it because I, I – bunch of reasons but one of them was i realized how hypocritical they were they spent decades making movies about how large corporations were evil and run by evil people and you know do anything you can to to get rid of get you know get at large corporations only large like large corporations are always run by evil people everything from like monsters incorporated to i don't know, like every movie with large corporations like the guy's evil the large corporations evil 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 large corporations and then they turn around and they're shocked that people are like I don't think stealing a movie is bad. I mean, it's Disney. They're a large corporation. I'm like, it's like, well, what did you expect, morons? You deserve the piracy problem. You created the piracy problem. You told everyone that large corporations were faceless and you could steal from them. And so they started stealing from you. You kind of deserve it. Um, Blackbeard, by the way, thank you for the super chat. He says, oh, thank you, Blackbeard. Don't forget, you also just buy out companies before they get uh, too big to compete. Yeah. You do, but... Um, First of all, you like you can't be guaranteed that they'll sell. So you need leverage, and so one of those regulations actually great leverage. And I've I've personally heard this used in arguments um, during company acquisitions before, where uh, the smaller company is looking to get acquired because there's a lot of regulatory overhead 
and they look at their trajectory for going where they want to go and their growth isn't as fast because they've got to deal with all this stuff and a large corporation comes in and says look we've already got all that overhead in place we've got our lobbyists we've got our you know we, we got the regulations taken care of we'll just absorb you and you'll be able to grow much faster right and um you know to a founder that can a get a payout and b cares about his idea you know growing and being propagated like that's a that's a great thing right i mean uh, I don't know that this was the case in Facebook, uh, any Facebook transactions in the past, but look, they bought WhatsApp, they bought Instagram. They, they do buy companies and um, I, you gotta imagine that leverage helps, right? Leverage helps, so. They don't, and they don't just buy, uh, try and buy out the companies. They also, you guys, if you're not familiar with this, look up what they've done to Gab, for example. They have a, yes. a blueprint for what they do to any competition, any site, that is a competitive site to one of the big socials, and they will they what they work in allegiance in alliance with the legacy media. Um, it's exactly like it's exactly like what we started off talking about Google and NBC working in cahoots in cahoots to demonetize the Federalist. They they go after and they target anyone yep. who's speaking wrong wrong think, and so. Uh, what did they do to Gab? Well, Gab is a, a competitor to Twitter. And it was launched by someone who left Silicon Valley, was a wrong thinker, came to Texas, started this company. What did they do? They peppered the legacy media with, with propaganda pieces about how Gab is a platform for the alt-right and for white supremacists and for white nationalists and for just the most awful, awful people. They The standard by which they judge this is a standard they don't apply to Twitter. You can find every type of person on Twitter as well, including the dretches of society, they don't say, hey, Twitter, you're responsible for this horrible human who's tweeting on your platform, and we're gonna use this to malign your entire site and say your whole site is about this. No, but they do that to Gab, and they run it in headlines, and they this is the way they, it's propaganda, so you see, you don't even have to read the articles, you just see the headlines posted enough, and if you're in the echo chamber that believes this stuff, you come to, like I when I was in SJW, you just believe certain things that you've never investigated. So you just start speaking other people's opinions. Gab is a white supremacist site. So they've, they've successfully, try, I would say for the most part, successfully put Gab in this little place of do not go there if you're a liberal. Well, oh, Gab I would th love to right. have liberals. You're yeah. right. Gab would you're love right. to have people on the left. They would love to have liberals. Um, but but they've tried to make it off limits so that they can't gain a diversity of voices there and to make people reluctant to try it out. So they do that in the media, but then what do they do? Also, all the social media companies that basically control access to the public square join together and pile up on these competitors, these small competitors. So Gab, they Google Play Store uh, and, oh, is it Android? Android uh, Apple won't put them up sorry. either, right? Apple, so the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. So whether you have Android or iPhone, both of those gatekeepers refuse to let Gab sell their app. So right. you can't get their app on your phone because they've deemed that they, what, what happens? They have their blueprint. They, what, how, what do they rely on to say you can't have this app? Well, they rely on the articles that their SJW buddies and media have published. They point to those and they say, that's why this is a hateful, we can't have this site. We're not gonna let you have this app. Their domains, they're the people that host their domains come after them. Like the, every step of the way, they have to face hurdles that the big companies don't face. They right. have to, they are put, they are held to a standard that the, that Twitter and Facebook are not held to. 
And they do everything they can to keep them from the marketplace so that they won't take off. And and if you know people who liberals, I'm speaking as a liberal, if you know liberals who support this kind of censorship and they say, well, I support it because it's legal. It's not the government doing this. You're a cowardly person who has no character. If you say that, I believe, because you don't you, I'm a, look, I'm against censorship. It, it doesn't matter if it's the legal kind or the illegal kind. I'm against censorship. And I don't believe that something just because something is legal and I believe it should be legal means that I think it's moral or ethical or right. There are lots of things that are legal that I think should be legal that are not moral and are not ethical. And I will speak against those things. And if you're a true liberal, you will speak against censorship no matter who's doing it because it's the principle of the idea. Yep. So well put. Yeah. There's also a level of dishonesty to it, right? Which you pointed out. There's a total right? level of dishonesty to it. Yeah. Right. Even if you're not, even if you're kind of ambivalent on censorship, you certainly you can look at the way that those sites are treated and see that there's a uh, rampant double standard, right? And that should bother mm -hmm. you. And that, and you know, the left used to be, the left used to be the one that was afraid of big corporations, right? But now they're all like. We love big corporations. We like to criticize Zuckerberg yeah. sometimes for, you know, Russian ads. But uh, in general, we love big corporations because we're in bed with big corporations. And yeah. they especially love large media corporations. They love CNN. They love NBC, uh, which is what owned by GE. They, they, uh, they love the New York Times. They love Apple. They love Facebook. They love all of the big corporations, um, which is, again, back to your earlier point. Yeah, Why they're, they're, hypocri <laughs> they're hypocrites. They're not about yep. principles, right? Like a liberal is against, on principle, they're against censorship. And it doesn't matter if the person being censored is someone they like or not. Right. It doesn't matter because they're against censorship and they know they're smart enough to know what's used against their enemy can be used against them. You either stand for principles or you stand for ideology. And if you stand for ideology, you're going to become a massive hypocrite because you're going to put your ideology ahead of, ahead of universal principles. You do. Yeah. I'm on I'm on a little tear. No, I'm just go uh, on your tear. Anyway. It's a good tear. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, that relates to other stuff, but I don't want to get into the other stuff yet right now. So maybe okay. we'll, we'll switch topics for a minute. Is that cool? Yeah, let's um, do it. Can we talk about qualified immunity for a minute? <clears throat> yes. Let's so, talk. Go, Ninja, go ahead. Ninja and, Kitty was mad about the... Uh, Ninja Kitty's mad about the cover art for today's uh show because um i'm not sure actually why but today's cover art is the governor of colorado signing uh bill sb217 which uh removes qualified immunity for police officers it does some other stuff but it removes qualified immunity for police officers so it's time to talk about qualified immunity a little bit because i've been back and forth on the issue of qualified immunity a little bit um, at first, from my hearing of it, I was like, oh, that sounds bad. But then I read a little bit more. I'm like, that sounds fine. Uh, so why don't we just unravel this a little bit so that people can understand uh, what it is? Because it's thrown around like people throw qualified immunity around like police officers aren't responsible for any of their actions. Like that's not true. And it's not what qualified immunity is. So um, first of all, qualified immunity is a Supreme Court precedent. It, uh, they said it in 1967. And it applies to all government officials, not just cops, with discretionary behavior. So not like clerks who are filling out forms and stuff, but if you have to use your judgment in a situation, 
that's when it applies. Um, the government is still liable for your behavior in those circumstances, but you personally aren't liable. And the idea is this was a response to a real problem. And anyone who's over 40 has seen this. Uh, the frivolous lawsuit um, culture has gotten completely out of control, right? I mean, since the time that we were young, Carrie, uh, when, you know, you would, I, I don't know, ride bikes without helmets and, you know, sit in cars without seatbelts, like, the the safety Nazis have won, and not only that, everything is any, everyone else's responsibility. This is, again, by the way, as an aside, this is one of the reasons culture matters more than laws, because by culture... Culture is, is in the courts. Juries behave off of culture, nor, cultural norms, not laws. Sorry, what, what were you saying? Yeah, say? yesterday I was, uh, I, was, I was blessed with being able to go to a pool on this trip. And the diving board is one of these new diving boards that doesn't have any spring in it really at all. And remember when we were kids, there's a lot of spring in the diving board. And I was, the person was telling me that it's hard. They don't make those anymore. You can't get one even if you want one because... They don't want to be liable for any accidents that happen from the extra spring in the board. <laughs> I'm like, come on, can we just get a fun diving board? Okay. Right. So the safety Nazis who we've talked about before, yeah. they're ruining everything. But this, so there, there is a real problem in our culture of frivolous, absolutely frivolous lawsuits. Right. There's a reason that the the five gallon bucket has like a you know warning on it about not throwing your toddler in it upside down and filling it with water like yes only a moron would do that but some lawyer decided that disclaimer is necessary on the side of the bucket because you're gonna sue the bucket company because you people are idiots not people on our chat but like these people are, are are suing this and juries will award them stuff so this is um, like the I, I will let you get back to the point but just a frivolous another frivolous aside this is like the nurses who t have told me that They've had to put, because they get so many kids and, and adults in the ER with random things shoved in their orifices, that they have to put on kids' toys now, like, you know, don't put this ladder in your butt. Like, why? Why? Why are we catering to the dumbest? Right. Right. Well, like, well the reason for that anyway. is, as much as I would love to blame lawyers, the reason for that is society our culture is full of a bunch of morons who will vote on a jury to award three million dollars to the 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 mom of the toddler who stuck the ladder up his butt because it didn't say don't put the ladder up your butt and like got injured like that's why that's why you know you can only have if you've you've got a low enough iq and you've got a bad enough culture suddenly suddenly this is what happens so Look, the frivolous lawsuit issue is real. Now imagine as a police officer, you know, uh, you're doing your duty, you're making an arrest. It, it almost doesn't matter what you do. Like you, you make, either you make an, an innocent error or someone trips and falls or you don't do something exactly right or you think it's this way, but it's not, whatever. Um, you need, in order to actually recruit anyone to have that job, you can't have, they interact with the public all the time. Mostly it's with, well, a lot of times they have to use force, which is just like a very difficult situation to be in to judge. So there's a lot of discretion that needs to be used as a police officer. And so you need some level of immunity. And so what qualified immunity was is, is not blanket immunity. It is you are immune from civil suits unless 
unless the plaintiff shows that the off the official violated, quote, clearly established statutory or constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. So that's an objective standard. It means a reasonable person looking at this would say, well, you knew you were violating his constitutional rights or you knew you were violating some well-known statute. Therefore, you actually are liable, officer. So that prevents the officer from doing anything that's like clearly like, I'm just going to come up and punch you for no reason. And like, you should be liable for that because that's clearly violating uh, both uh, a statute and the constitution. So so they're not, it's not like they're not liable at all. They're just not liable for, in civil lawsuits for stuff where they have to use their discretion and they didn't clearly violate some statute or the Constitution, right? So there was discretion involved and they, you know, a reasonable person uses their judgment. And, and you can't just sue them for that all the time because otherwise they're going to get judgments against them constantly for every interaction. Because, by the way, you're sticking them out to, like, go deal with the criminal element of society. Enjoy the lawsuits, Right, like, it's a, it's a, it, it makes sense from that perspective. Now, what's happened apparently, again, juries can be wrong both ways. When culture's bad, it's often bad on multiple levels. Apparently, the qualified immunity argument has been used more in, increasingly in the past to justify excessive uh, force and deadly force that that wasn't justified. Right, and so. That's where the opposition to it's coming in. People are saying like, oh, well, it's been used in these cases to justify excessive force. It shouldn't have been, they shouldn't be. Now remember the, the city is still in charge. Like the city is still liable. The government's still liable. It's just the, we're talking about the individual is, is not liable in these cases. And that's the argument against it. So that's what's been going back and forth. And the governor of Colorado signed this bill to 17. Um, and he is removing qualified immunity from police officers as a he's saying you you're explicitly liable now uh i think a lot of officers are, from what i can tell uh, are um walking off the job right <laughs> uh of course uh i would walk off the job like yeah of course you're gonna walk off the job because now um you are every interaction with uh with the public you are potentially imagine going to mcdonald's and like if you serve the burger and it's the wrong thing you're personally liable and they can sue you for like <laughs> like what the hell right or like the the burger pat like doesn't matter like the burger patty has a thing and then you're personally liable or you gave them onions and they're allergic and you didn't realize it like you're personally like it, it's yeah it it's it's ridiculous but that's the you know and and that's the the situation you're putting in and I was thinking about this, why this, this discussion bothers me so much, because I have friends on both sides of this. I absolutely, as someone who's like a, a voluntarist, I absolutely have friends who are like, abolish the cops, do away with the cops, like go this route. I think that's tactically a stupid thing, but we both have the same end in mind, which is like a, a voluntarist society. I just, I don't think that's the right way to go about it, which I can talk about sometime if you want. But and I also have friends who are who are cops, right? And who are like, this we need law and order, we like this, we can't be treated like this, blah, blah, blah. And so I I get it. Um, and I was trying to figure out, figure out like why does this really bother me so much? And here's the reason that it really bothers me, because ultimately I don't want the police enforcing a whole bunch of stuff. Even if we just roll back to like a minarchist perspective, police really have very little role, right? They they have very little role in society at that point. They're arresting, you know murders and rapists and whatever they're not they're not out arresting everyone for everything um here's why it really bothers me carrie 
Uh, this in, this entire qualified immunity, immunity conversation that we're having is is all about shifting responsibility onto the lowest level. I don't mean this in a bad way, but the lowest level government employees away from the higher levels. Qualified immunity applies to government officials, right? So it's not the mayor that's getting in trouble. It's not the police chief. It's not all the bureaucrats. It allows all the officials to get away, to operate with complete immunity. So they can stand in front of the public and they can say, just like the Fulton County DA, right? Tasers are deadly weapons. Tasers aren't deadly weapons. It does, they can say whatever they need to say. They have zero, zero liability. They're not responsible for the outcome of anything. They can set up impossible situations so they can go out in public and promise A and not A at the same time to the public, right? And, and then they can set up a situation for law enforcement where the cops literally have a no-win situation and, the, and all the responsibility for everything is, is rests on the lowest level officer who's just trying to do his job. Like it all rests on him. So they can say, go fight, go fight crime for us. But if anything upsets the criminals or their families, you're personally liable. So just to summarize for people who zone out like me, you think qualified immunity is bad. I think I was a little bit more nuanced than that. <laughs> I'm asking you to summarize, though. I'm asking you to summarize. Don't zone out. This is a, hey, this is a, we have, we have real discussions on this channel. You can't just zone out. No, no, I'm zoned in. But just, just to summarize, because we got to go, we do a little like, the. you think it's bad because it's, uh, it's, it's the little people who actually do the jobs who are, who are being made liable for anything that the company or the organization does that higher ups find wrong well i'm saying that so first of all qualified immunity is when they are not liable for things okay just to be clear so uh qualified immunity gets them out of being liable the precedent of qualified immunity is supposed to apply to every official every government official not mm -hmm. just the cops okay. but the mayor okay right everyone right but the okay. discussion that we're having now is we have a high level of official that can speak out of both sides of their mouth and say, right. tasers are deadly, tasers aren't deadly. They right. can then, to their underlings, set up impossible circumstances for actually operating because they can literally have contradictions that they're stating publicly and tell them to do the contradictions, behave in this contradictory manner. So now the cop goes out and... He's faced with, I'm, I'm at, here are the two options, right? Um, let's just, uh, let's, let's, let's choose this uh, Richard Brooks guy. Um, here's the edict to the cops. Go arrest people for drunk driving. If, if that person happens to resist arrest and throw your partner to the ground, giving him a concussion and steals the taser and, and runs away and shoots the taser at your face, you have two options. And the first option, you can try and stop him, but if you happen to kill him, the fault's 100% yours and you might face the death penalty. Or you can let him go. But if he hits you with the taser, uh, he'll be able to steal your weapon and use it against you and use it against your partner and possibly anyone else. So you might also face the death penalty there. But if you survive it, that will also be your fault for whatever damage. It's like, well, there's a no-win situation. The cop is in a no-win situation at that point. And what I don't like about this is that, uh, you know, I know we're reading books about... Uh, 
well, I'm reading books. I think we're supposed to be reading Ordinary Men, which I haven't started yet, which I will. We're going to we'll have a book club yes. discussion about it this, this weekend. This coming I did week, read, guys. Yeah, I did read Stanley Milgram's uh, book uh, about authority because I wanted to really understand the Milgram experiment uh, very well. And um, we don't have to get into this right now, but uh, okay. I personally don't want to live in a world where uh, people delegate their moral authority to to other people. That's not a world I'm looking for at all. However, we do live in that world. And most of most people, I think, actually do want that. That's what you ask for. And um, like when when a you know when an authority figure says to do blah blah blah, the soldier or the the subordinate is supposed to say, yes, that's that's the world that I don't want, but a lot of people want. That's the world we live in, right? And the Milgram experiment, for example, two-thirds of the people just listened to the authority. No matter what, they were hurting someone, two-thirds of the people went all the way to give them the maximum voltage. Right. Talk about that, right? So we live in this world. And if you want to have a world where moral responsibility is removed from the actor and given to the decision maker that's at a different level of authority, then... Uh, or the moral aid, the agency, the responsibility for that decision, then then that level of authority needs to take responsibility for failures, right? So a, the example would be like uh, if a soldier says, if, if a general says to a soldier, "Hey, bomb this spot," right? And the soldier's like, "Okay," and he presses a button, he bombs the spot, right? And then later, someone's like, "Oops, that was a wedding full of innocent civilians," right? We have a situation where the general's saying, "These soldiers are out of control." Right? Like, no, 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 general. You told him, we live in a society where you told him to obey your orders. We're all in agreement. I mean, I'm not, but we're living in a society where we're in agreement that he should just blindly obey your orders. You told him to do it. He's trusting that the person is a is a threat or they're, they're, that's the enemy. He pressed the button. You can't blame the soldier for this. And we have a situation now where these mayors, like the, the removal of qualified immunity, the governor's not saying, I'm making sure that all the bureaucrats are not ex- are excluded from qualified immunity. We're all going to be held accountable for our crappy policies and everything that we do. When we violate the Constitution, you'll be able to sue us in civil court. He's not doing that. He's saying, oh, yeah, hey, thanks, guys on the front line who have zero control over any of the policies, any of the laws, anything going on. You guys, you're liable for everything. You have no, quali- you have no qualified immunity anymore. But the city council has qualified immunity. We can do whatever we want. Um, and I don't, you know, again, I don't want this situation where people don't have moral authority, but if you're gonna, if, but cause, cause I think it's dangerous and immoral and ultimately I, I think it falls apart. I don't think it's sustainable to build a population of automatons who just, you know, obey authority, but you don't start getting rid of that system by only assigning the moral responsibility to the people at the bottom rung of the ladder, <laughs> like an excuse to people making the rules. And that's what's happening. That's this discussion. And that's why it pisses me off right now. And I, I finally was able to nail down why I was angry about this qualified immunity. It's not that there are vagaries. It's not that maybe there could be some reforms. It's not that there's bad things that happen sometimes. It's not that like, I, it's not that I don't want to even look at the system. It's that where you're looking in the system is you're voting for the same jerks like this DA over and over and over again and you're punishing the guy on the street who's literally just trying most of the guys literally just trying to keep you safe that's all they're trying to do yeah there's some bad apples everywhere but like you're punishing the wrong people that's what's pissing me off about this 
you know? And, and the more you punish the cops and the less you punish the authority, the more the authority is just gonna, they, they're operating with impunity now. They can do whatever they want. Whatever they want, they can they can say whatever they want. They can have contradictory rules. They can tell people to behave in different ways, and they don't get in trouble. The guy on the street gets in trouble. He loses his livelihood. He faces the death penalty, not you. And that's what pisses me off. Sorry, that was more nuanced than I don't like it. <laughs> I just kind of like sometimes it's it's not what you're talking about. It's just that it's a. It's more of like a lecture, and I'm not engaged as a conversation because I'm, I'm I'm like having trouble. I rant sometimes. It, I, it, I know. Yes, and I like your rants. It's just sometimes, it's especially with something where I just want to get to the heart of like what is qualified immunity. And I know people in the chat were making fun of me. It's funny because somebody said I seemed particularly articulate today, and then I seemed really dizzy right after. But it's just because like I don't. Yeah, I have to. I have to be in a conversation sometimes to really pick up what you're laying down. Not always. Sometimes well, lectures are more, yeah. It's laid down. Pick yeah. it up. I'll uh, pick it up later. You can pick it up later, um, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you have an opinion on qualified immunity? I don't. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> you don't know what it is? That's no. just you zoning out. I, I mean, clearly no. at the beginning started with what it was. <laughs> No, I looked it up on Wikipedia while you were talking. So it's basically. <laughs> I love you, Carrie. What? <laughs> Go ahead. If, if you didn't understand what it was from the beginning, of, then maybe other people didn't. Why don't you explain what qualified immunity is for the people that are listening in chat who also. Look, this is were, what I. Yeah, I look, if, if, if you can't, if you, I think this is good practice for engaging. Yeah, I'm failing. People. I'm failing. So go yeah. ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, so qualified immunity is the practice of saying that public servants, people who are public servants are not liable for damages, right? Correct? No? Not, not exclusively. They're only liable if what they did was unconstitutional or against a well-known statute and they behaved in a way that a reasonable person wouldn't have behaved. And they're in a position where they have it's a discretionary position, right? So it's not something formulaic they're supposed to do, but they have to make a judgment call. So if they make a judgment call and that judgment is clear violation of the Constitution or violation of a statute that everyone should kind of know, um, then then they are liable. But as long as they stay within those bounds, then they are not liable in civil court. But the government still is liable. Their employer is liable, but they are not personally liable. Does okay. that make sense? Yes, okay. that makes sense. Okay. I do not have an opinion on it yet. Okay. I need to read more about it. And I need to go back and listen to your rant a couple of times. <laughs> okay. So. Well, on that note, uh, let's do a super chat. Zan, Zan Wild <laughs> says, uh, thank you, Zan. Uh, New market malpractice insurance for police. Right. So in a free market, in fact, in a voluntarist system, if you had people that were functioning as police in some way, uh, a, lot, a lot of the stuff would be uh, handled by insurance, <clears throat> which could get um, probably more complicated, but more fine-grained and be unique to different situations and, um, and handled, right? You, you would handle it. And yeah, the, the problem with the civil suits is there's really, it's hard to insure because it's so, uh, it's so wildly unpredictable what's going to get 
awarded and what isn't, and the, the, it sh things shift with um, they shift with political sentiment. Like six months ago, what was qualified immunity isn't today or whatever. You never know, right? Because um, it's a mess. Another super chat from Wombat of Doom. Wombat of Doom says, toward printing costs for a t-shirt for Carter that says, I rant sometimes. Thank you, <laughs> I do rant sometimes. I do. Sometimes guys, people I, like my rants. Sometimes they check out. I, you know what? I can't even I, predict look, when it will happen. So I, you know, I give up. Yeah. Just keep doing what you do. And I, I think, I, I, am. I think God led us together for a reason because we, yeah. uh, that we are the yin and the yang. And, uh, I <laughs> Look at you. You're developing patience by me being in I your am life. developing patience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's okay. a uh you're good for me in many ways. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> thank uh, you. Yeah. Keith the hack guy says Carrie used thank you, Keith, by the way, Carrie used Wikipedia to fact check Carter. I don't think she was fact checking. I think she used Wikipedia to bypass Carter's <laughs> long-winded description and just kind of try and get to the heart of the matter. Although I will point out, um, she needed it mansplained to her even after the Wikipedia read, so <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> I do listen to, I will listen to that rant again later when I'm at more focused. Maybe we'll make, we'll, maybe we'll make it into a separate thing. Um, yeah. In other news, yeah, look. in Oakland, they have nooses in trees. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, that was exercise equipment, but our, our, the, the Oakland mayor is still very angry about it. Um, did, you, <laughs> did you see any of that? Have you paid attention to the Bay Area? I caught, it. I caught something about it. It's so stupid. Uh, Wait, um, can I read this from Libby Schaff? Yeah, please Libby Schaff is the mayor of Oakland. So, so they, found, uh, they found, quote, nooses. Nooses were reported at a park. Ah! Right? They found nooses. Mm -hmm. Turns out the nooses were exercise equipment. Um, but, but when you're a social justice warrior, that doesn't stop you. Here's what Libby Schaff, the mayor of Oakland has to say. Symbols of racial violence have no place in Oakland and will not be tolerated. Several nooses found on trees around Lake Merritt were removed and will be investigated as hate crimes. Reports that they were part of exercise equipment do not remove or excuse their torturous and terrifying effects. Actually, they do. Actually, the fact that they're exercise equipment yeah. does, does remove their torturous and terrifying effects, Libby. Uh, we're responsible for knowing the history and present-day reality of lynchings, hate crimes, and racial violence. And apparently, but not exercise equipment. We're not responsible for knowing the present-day functionality of ex exercise equipment. Objects that invoke such terror will not be tolerated in open public spaces. Libby Schaff, for those of you who don't know, Oakland is known for being like a corrupt piece of crap city. Uh, and Libby Schaff is the perfect person to represent Oakland. So not only in Oakland, but up in uh, Rohnert Park, another one in the Bay Area, uh, a Karen posted a picture on Facebook. I was walking in my neighborhood in Rohnert Park and came across what looks like a lot of nooses hanging from a tree. I need to call the police. So they called the police, <laughs> right? Uh, update from the police. The police confirmed that the rope has been in the trees since before COVID and was placed there for the kids to use as a swing. Well, like, to be fair to these people, they, they, they misuse the term gaslighting all the time. They, they, they will actually, they misuse a lot of words. They, they say gaslighting when they mean 
dis- you disagreed with me. <laughs> but <laughs> but they are being gaslit, meaning they are being made to um, feel like they're crazy or to they're being made hysterical in some ways by the media, by the narrative that's being put out. So there have been just the same way they cherry pick the, the stories of black men being killed by police. And if you start to look into the stats, you'll find that it's 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 actually you are at greater risk of being killed by the cops if you are white, but they're never going to, they're never going to talk about those stats. But so they cherry pick these individual cases. They show you these individual videos to try and create a narrative. And I do believe the intention is clickbait. They want views. I think it's also a bit more nefarious than that. I think they want us at each other's throats. Like you talked about distracted. They want, us divided they want a race war they want they want any kind of war they want a red and blue war they want you know they just want us not focused on the actual the actual enemies to freedom and liberty and equality um they want us all infighting but anyway so one of the things they've been doing is cherry picking now and highlighting these stories of black men who've committed suicide by hanging I don't know if you've seen no, this. I haven't seen this. But they've, no. they've been pushing, oh, here's another black man who was found hung from a tree. And they're trying to say, you know, it, they're planting the idea that there's something nefarious here, that this wasn't actually a suicide, even though it's ruled a suicide. They've highlighted a couple of these now. But if you look at the stats, if you look at the suicide stats, which are pretty sad, we never look at suicide, really. Sarnovich was talking about this. Like, we don't like to look at suicide. Right. But there's a certain number of hangings that happen every week of suicide by hanging that happen every week. We only pay attention to it when it's someone famous like Anthony Bourdain, but it happens all the time. And now they're taking something that we don't ever look at or talk about. So it's, it's actually to their benefit, this, this narrative that they're trying to create, it's to their benefit that we never look at this or talk about it. So now they can say, look at these suicides by hanging. There's something happening here. Right. And they're putting this idea in people's heads. So for these hysterical people who are calling the cops because they see ropes in trees they're hysterical because the media is telling them that there's a rash of of suspicious hangings now of black yeah. people happening yeah. it's it's i feel bad for them i feel bad because they they it's all it's just like the the way they, they made people like myself hysterical during the election so when trump won you know we were in hysterics because we right, thought, thought that hitler was marching in to won. take over the white yeah. house yeah yeah, yeah. They, and some no, of them yeah. still believe all that stuff. That's why they they're so right outlandish. Yeah. You know, Carrie, uh, uh, something that you're making me think of is, I know we talk about, you know, there's the leaders of some of these movements who are, we'll call them like the Ellsworth Tuies, the, the the people who like know it's all, mm-hmm. they have evil intent. They know it's crap. They're pushing it anyway. Yeah. They're like right. And then there's the people who just like are bought in and like think that they're being against racism yeah. by or whatever right um yeah. and and i was thinking about this and the the thing that i think we maybe need to add a dimension to this viewpoint is the fact is that i think most people are on a scale between those there's a lot of self-delusion that happens along this scale so even someone like the mayor of oakland like libby Schaff, i don't believe that she is uh i don't believe that libby Schaff is intentionally evil uh, mm-hmm. I think that she is self-deluded. I think she has adopted some premises and brainwashed herself, taken some brainwashing in, also deluded herself enough that when she gets caught up in this stuff, 
it's a it's real for her. She's caught up in it. Yes, she's propagating crap, but she's she's not doing it. Uh, I don't think she's doing it knowing that it's crap. I think she's like, yeah. I think she might at some level sometimes about some things know that it's crap, right? But other things but, just totally has has self deluded. And I think my, probably most people that we see out in in the public talking about this stuff, I would guess most of them are somewhere on the scale where they are. Yeah. They're not wholly bought in and ignorant. They're not wholly above it, knowing it's evil and pushing it anyway. They're partly self deluded. Um, and partly not. Partly self-deluded, absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that because this is something Carter and I have talked about a lot for anyone who's new, but I, I know there's a lot of people in it with good intent and who really believe it, really believe it, and that's why they push it. But it's also that they they don't... Um, yeah, Laura, Laura in chat says, wow, Carter, that's an awful amount of grace. Carrie is wearing you down. <laughs> I think he, <laughs> Um, well, people... <laughs> I'll say that it it doesn't excuse them from their behavior on a moral True. perspective. So it, it does not excuse I can them from their whip behavior. that grace right out from under them again. <laughs> there you go. Yes. And um, yeah, it, it doesn't excuse them. And I also think the only way that you can stay in it for as long as I did with good intent is you are not taking a responsibility. You have to you have to be um, in a place where you're not taking responsibility for making sure that your opinions are your own. You you are mm. operating from a place of dishonesty because you are speaking. Because once you start looking at it to figure out what it really is, you can't stay in it. Once right. you start investigating, unless it, you actually are evil, unless you actually are evil and you want to use it to your own benefit for your own benefit. But once you start looking into it, so so the people who are in it with good intent, I will say this, they are operating from a place of dishonesty, a kind of dishonesty, because they're not looking at it critically, and they're just repeating stuff. This is very, it's a very lazy kind of, it's like, I have good intent, I want to be a good person. This is a really lazy avenue of being a good person is to start adopting this belief system and speaking all these phrases that I haven't looked into. And, you know, I haven't read any, a lot of them, they don't, they're not historically well-read they don't um they're not students of history they don't really investigate what well and there about. i i do actually think uh i do actually think there's some moral culpability here for laziness intellectual laziness because i think the the bigger the more abstract of a a false premise you're willing to adopt uh the the greater negative consequences it has right like it can you can it can really have deep deep ramifications and if you are uh if you are very active uh then you need to be very sure of having investigated the premises upon which you act and if you're acting um but haven't clearly gone to the roots of your uh philosophic premises that that your action is based on you are potentially a serial killer like you you could be anything really bad because you haven't verified um you, i mean obviously if you're not killing people you're not a serial killer but you could be supporting horrible horrible things yeah. like that if you haven't verified the premises upon which your behavior is based and i think most people you know um ayn rand used to th used to think that the fundamental choice that we had in terms of free will there was she, she believed that free will came down to basically just one choice and that was think or don't so at any given moment, there was some something in your brain, and you could you could decide to evade that thought, 
or think about it more deeply. Mm -hmm. And it was painful sometimes to think about it more deeply. It was uncomfortable. And, but if you make the choice, it gets easier. If you keep making the choice to think, um, that's the moral choice. But if you, if you make the choice to evade, you go down this path of eventually accepting premises that are false. And, and she believed that that was kind of the essence of free will and essence of morality was how often, like, how do you, what do you do when it gets down to that thing where you, like, there's an uncomfortable truth or there's an uncomfortable idea you're confronted with? Do you think or do you allow yourself to evade that thought to continue evade. feeling the way you yeah. want to feel? Um, so many people evade. That's a human thing you have to fight yeah. against. It is. Anybody it's, have to fight against. Because it's easy yeah. to evade. It's it's the easy way out. It's the it's the yeah. It's the path of least resistance yeah. to evade the thought. Yeah. Um, we Thank we, you we for have a bunch super of super chat. chats. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's put them up. So Kenton for truck. Uh, let's see the first one I missed. He says, "Watch the white fragility video. I felt dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the super chat, Kent." Um, yeah, I no, mean, I think yeah. if you want, are you white? I think Kent's white. If he is, then you are dirty. So I, I think, think your reaction was appropriate. You're just an evil, dirty racist. Evil, dirty watching those. But you should watch them. You should be familiar with that so you know what you're arguing against. It's just, yes, you'll come out of there all skin crawly. Like, ooh. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you should you. watch them all the time. Just watch enough no, that no, you no. know what their premises I mean, are. And yeah, yeah. To know what they are. Um, okay, the next one from. Uh, Second Amendment self-defense law says, thank you to a self-defense law. Uh, they say people are addicted to negative emotions. Yes. Yes. And and actually, I think what they're doing often is uh, they're addicted to their own trauma. We all are to yeah. some extent, right? And so a lot of times there's like getting stuck in your trauma, re-traumatizing, not trying to grow. Like you're kind of a, a, uh, stuck in this rut. I remember, um, I remember I heard- being in this class at some point where the the guy it was like a this weird san francisco type uh it wasn't landmark but it was kind of like that kind of a thing right um and but the guy was saying like you know you have to actually want to be happy like there's and he was admitting like well sometimes i've gone through periods of my life where like i sat in my bed and was like miserable and unhappy and listened to depressing music all day and like actually i wanted that like that's what i wanted i wanted to be unhappy and like nothing was going to move me I wanted to be unhappy. Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle calls it living in your pain body. Oh, and great, great, yes. or great uh, description. Mm. And when you are living in your pain body, your pain body seeks out that pain over and over, either to experience it again for yourself or to inflict it on others. And until you learn how to, I mean, I'm just using the language. I, I think yeah. you, everyone, lots of people have talked about this idea. He just happens to talk about it by referring to it as a pain body. But this idea of, of recreating trauma that you may have suffered at some point in your life over and over again, mm-hmm. I think we all have experience with that, or at least I do. Yeah, and and, everyone and uh, so, yes, people are, but being addicted to negative emotions, we all know people like that as well. You can be, if you're a person who, I know, I know someone, this, and I know lots of people, but someone in particular I'm thinking of who, if there's very little positive emotion in your life, you can, you can get addicted to the negative ones. And then to such a degree that you are abusive daily because, because even though it's negative interactions with people, it's some kind of endorphins. You are getting hit with endorphins 
It's psychological it's visibility yeah. in some level. Like at least there's another existent in the world responding to you, even if it's a negative response. Right. Like that, and at least something. you're getting a dopamine rush. You can become addicted to the dopamine that you get from negative emotions. And I think a lot of people online are addicted. to. That's why you see a lot of the people who suffer from what we call Trump derangement syndrome, who they can't seem to think about or talk about anything except Trump. They're addicted to it. He's a drug for them. They're addicted to posting their outrage. They're addicted to the way it makes them feel because at least they're feeling, at least they're getting that chemical hit in some way, you know? Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Thank you for the super chat. You know, we should we should do a show on this sometime, and I, I should look it up, but I'm relatively sure that there have been studies that have shown that um, power is literally, like, chemically addictive in the way that drugs are. Uh, oh, it so, is, yeah. Um, so this is why, this is why when, you know, it sounds sometimes weird for us to say, oh, these people just want to push their power forward and you're like well you know what kind of power? i mean everyone's not a weird power addict and it's like if i said that about a heroin addict like they just want more heroin you would nod your head and be like well yeah because they're addicted it's the same mechanism like yeah they're yeah. addicted to the power it's the same mechanism uh you've they heard do the expression drunk on power yes yeah 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 a few more super chats chip joyce thank you chip <laughs> chip gives us 20 bucks and he says a three-year-old black black toddler Killed by gunfire over the weekend in Chicago. That's tragic. I had not heard about that. I, I hate when, uh, I mean, I don't like when adults are killed, but when kids are killed in this kind of crap, it really, really bothers me. Um, his name was Mecky James. We should say his name too. Why aren't we allowed to talk about the catastrophe that is black on black homicide? Because it doesn't fit the agenda, right? Um, because agenda doesn't fit the agenda. Um, and yeah, I mean... There's so much tragedy in the world. I mean, I could rant probably about kids for an, on another show, but children are the last unprotected class of uh, individuals in Western culture. Um, they're just ignored and not protected, and we don't talk about it. And um, child abuse, everything, uh, the way they're treated in school. Um, and, yeah, obviously, that's, that's the kind of thing that if uh, if the mainstream media wanted to actually save black lives if they actually cared about black lives that's the kind of heart-wrenching story that they would tell everywhere right and they would say these are the innocent victims of violence because you look at a three-year-old and it's like well obviously the three-year-old is innocent right and, and it would so, be like why why is this happening and yes what can, and we, what do can we do to do figure about out it? why and then address and then address fixing it but right. you're not allowed to ask those questions right so yeah uh yeah. well um, Marie Busky, thank you, thank you, Chip. Marie Busky, thank you, Marie. Marie says, the brain is a muscle, thought is the exercise, we all need to keep fit. Yeah, and I think, it, I think in the analogy that, that um, I was talking about that Rand used before, where, or I don't know if it's an analogy in the, uh, the model that she, she used, exercising that, like, deciding to think when it, you don't feel like it, uh, does build that muscle and it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier over time. And similarly, not thinking and evading becomes easier and easier and easier over time. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Uh, there's another super chat. Let's see. Um, this one is from Nunya Biz. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Nunya Biz says. Nunya. So, Nunya, sorry. Nunya Biz. 
Oh, none yet. Oh, I, you know what? I totally, I, don't, I white guide that. Sorry. Uh, I totally mispronounced that. <laughs> Social media and internet ruined our herd thought immunity. Now, instead of the town crazy person being just that, they can get group confirmation bias. Yeah, I mean the the effect of social media is is far and wide. Not that's not the least of it, but like yeah, there's the the anonymity. There's um absolutely you find like if you're a flat earther, well, <laughs> turns out there's only one in your state, but there's you know fifty thousand across the world or whatever it is. <laughs> like you can you can be in a community of crazies, absolutely, and you can justify behavior, um, and you can have your own authority structure. So you can you might have a crazy authority leader telling you to do things and you can abdicate your moral responsibility to that authority and go do things. Um, absolutely. Thank you, Nunya Biz. I just I, I like saying Nunya Biz now. Uh, Teresa the Kid Teresa the Kid Let's says thank you for walking away. Thank you for the super chat, Teresa and um, and yeah walking away there's lots of different ways you can walk away what one of the ways i um i kind of I, I i was on this interview with some walk away people like a year and a half ago uh we were on gavin mcginnis's show before he got canceled from whatever that network was it was a right-wing network i forget a conservative network wait wasn't it um, wasn't it uh, purchased by blaze tv it was the one that was yes, CRTV. It became and, it was purchased blaze, by blaze. and then they yeah. got rid of him right yeah. so i was on there with my friend mike harlow i was on there with brandon Stracht, Stracht from who who founded walk away mm -hmm. um brandon tatum my friend gracie west who's also a former sjw a couple different people one of the things i was saying in that interview that the, there's so many different ways to walk away. You don't have to walk away and just become, and then become a Republican or a Repu become like a really hard right winger or whatever it is in your mind that you think. So I, I'm still, I still consider myself a liberal. I'm a classical liberal. And I really don't like the idea of ceding the term liberal to them, like just relinquishing it to them because they are a liberal. SJWs are illiberal. And so I also think, um, I hear from people all the time who are kind of waking up and leaving the SJW part of the left. And some of them are very, they're very afraid of this process. Cause imagine what it's like if you're in a cult and you don't realize it and you start to realize it and you start to try to leave, it's going to happen slowly, but you're also afraid because you've been told this other side is like the evil dark side. Right. And, and you, some people may fear leaving. They stay in the SJW side because they, they believe in this false dichotomy of, like you're either with the SJW left or you're a freaking Nazi, right? Like the two things. They, which Those is, are the which options. Is That's it. Yeah. That's crazy. And yeah. so I try to, yeah, like Angie in chat says, they are leftists. I am liberal. Yes, Angie. They are leftists. They are not liberal. They are leftist authoritarians. And I want to help create a welcoming space for other liberals. And I think there are, there are lots of people, there are a few different people doing this now. Dave Rubin, um, Tim Pool, there's people who just don't fall into. It's hard. To, it's hard to put labels on everyone, right? But I want people to 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 think about what the word liberal means, to think about what liberalism is, and try and line that up with what the SJW left is about. And it doesn't line up. And so, for people who don't feel comfortable, like you know, don't don't fall prey to this idea that there's only two options, right? Like. And some people walk away and they do, they become very loud and proud Republicans and yay for them. I mean, whatever works for you and whatever your beliefs are great, but, but 
there there's also room for liberals to take that term back from them. I think it's important. I think liberals and conservatives need each other. We are both, we have more in common with one another than we do with SJW leftists. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, having had, having had to give up on some terms in the past, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I'm willing to give up on liberal. If, if you want liberal, take it. Uh, I'm I, not giving it to them. I, I get it. I get it. Um, I would prefer to have the conversation. Here's what I would prefer. I'd prefer to get rid of liberal, conservative, left, right, Republican, Democrat. I would prefer to get rid of all those terms and start having conversations about individualism versus collectivism, authoritarianism versus individualism. Like, where are you on that scale? Because that's the scale that matters. And what what yeah. they've done, if you've ever seen that, people have seen this two-dimensional chart, which goes around a lot, which is like, it's like if you're in this corner, you're a libertarian, and if you're in that corner, you're, you know, whatever. So it's like yeah. right, left, and it's like, okay, you're if you're authoritarian about social issues but 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 liberal about um, monetary issues, then you are, what's that, on the right. But if you're authoritarian on, uh, on monetary issues but liberal on social issues, then you're on the left, right? And those two corners of that graph are, are that's kind of where all the dialogue is. But I actually think that is orthogonal to where the dialogue should be. It should be on these two corners of the graph. I don't really care whether you want to be authoritarian about money or drugs. I just don't want you to be authoritarian. <laughs> like, we can, like, the, the, <laughs> we should be talking about the other two vertices of that, not these yeah. two, these two. It should be, yeah. do you want to leave people the hell alone? Okay, well, you're inconsistent if you don't want to leave them the hell alone here, but you do there. But you're still somewhere on the leave the people alone scale, yeah. and or you're on control people scale, and that's why I don't really. That's why I think I don't really care. This might be a great time, I think, to shift this. Trump's not a Republican. Uh, the the left is busy stealing words left and right, redefining crap. Maybe it's a great time to start to like shift the conversation and be like, hey, let's talk about the other two vertices. Do you want authoritarianism or do you want freedom? Because that's your choice. Fundamentally, yeah. that matters more than any of these other gradations that go on on the scale. Yeah. Um, You're absolutely right. Are you authoritarian or not? That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I will argue with you if you're like, I've, I'm authoritarian socially, but not uh, economically. It's like, okay, well, I think you're wrong here, but not there. But we can have that discussion. Yeah. Be consistent, right? Um, but, you know. Uh, okay. A couple super chats. JC... 9190, JC9190 from Canada, thank you JC, says, glad to see the two of you on the side of sanity. We need your voices now more than ever. Uh, thank you JC. Hopefully we're JC, on the side are, of sanity. We try. are Canadian dollars worth more than, what are Canadian dollars? I have I no idea. They're probably roughly the same. Right the now. same? I don't know. I mean, there's probably a difference. It's 20% maybe, I don't know. Different, I don't know. There's got to be a joke in there somewhere about Canada. I can't think of it right now, but yeah, but you don't anyway. make fun. Don't the Canadians are nice. Leave them alone. I love Canadians. My joke is more about um, their leadership. Oh, well. <laughs> Trudeau. <laughs> Trudeau is like the laugh. It's funny how they try to talk about how tr Trump is like the laughing stock of the world. Which, okay, yeah, to some degree, I think he probably is, but. But not in the same way that Trudeau is a laughing stock. A know lot of I people mean? are laughing with Trump. Yeah. No one's laughing, laughing like him, no one's laughing with Justin Trudeau. <laughs> you're exactly right. There's people laughing at Trump, but a lot of people laughing with him. There's people laughing at Trudeau, but I don't think there's anyone laughing with him. No. 
he's not funny. He's just sad. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> yeah, he's just, anyway. Yeah. Um, Stephen Landau. Here. Thank you also, Stephen Landau. Stephen says, listen to White Fragility. Kafka Trap, yes. Uh, once you see the trick, it's easy to identify. Gave the right of way to a black person while driving. It was racist that I let him by. If I deny it, it's racism. I'm racist. Yeah, there's no null hypothesis. It's a Kafka trap. You can't, you can't win either way. Uh, welcome to modern leftism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, can't, you can't win. It's not designed so that... So this is the thing, though. You think... Stop believing that these people are trying to, like... They're not trying to be consistent. They're not trying to convince you of anything. They're, they're trying to get you to behave in a certain way. That's all they're trying to do. They're not trying to, like... You think that there's some sort of, uh, you think there's some sort of intellectual honesty present when there is none. There's no intellectual honesty present. There's nothing going on there. There's no right. attempts to have a coherent, rational, consistent system. That's not, that's, they don't care. That's not what they're doing. They're, they're, that, that's not even, even, even that goal is probably white supremacy. Like, that's not what they want. They just, they just want to destroy Western civilization. That's it. And whatever words, if they had to, if they had to spout capitalism to destroy Western civilization, they would be spouting capitalism. They now. would. If they, they had would. to be praising white Christian heterosist males right now in order to bring down Western civilization, they, they would be doing that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And by, and by the way, they do do that when those males are tools to bring down Western civilization. Like, so, um... I wanna, I wanna share something with you. Can I? No one can stop you, Carrie. It is a free okay. country. Can you see this? Uh, is it working? I do see it, but I don't know if everyone else can see it. I don't think everyone else can see it, but I don't know why. Hold on, let me see if I can get everyone else to see it. Okay. Uh, everyone sees me right now. Let's see. Aha! There we go. Okay. Now so everyone someone... sees it, Carrie. Someone shared this with me, uh, and this is, we've, we've talked about my old ideologies just kind of converging in all these different spaces. It's in gaming, it's in knitting, it's, it's at big social companies, it's in your city council meetings, it's at your kids' elementary school, it is in churches. Um, and so this is from, this is something that a lot of uh, Christians, so-called Christians, are now sharing. And this is my old ideology seeping into the church, Subverting the, way, the gospel. I don't mean to interrupt. But, what you just yeah. said totally reminded me of. Uh, it totally reminded me of the scene in the Matrix where he's like, "You feel it when you pay your taxes, when you go to the store, <laughs> when you like, like it's everywhere." It's. I totally felt like you were Morpheus just for a moment, it is. and I wanted to give you some worship for it's being It's all Morpheus. around you, and you <laughs> yes. know there's something wrong with it, but it sounds good, and you can't quite put your finger on it. <laughs> yes, it's everywhere. Well, first. First of all, this might help, like, first of all, look at the title here. Th this woman, th there's something creepy about the title. Why I stopped talking about racial reconciliation and started talking about white supremacy. It's like she's selling white supremacy. It, you does, know? it does seem like Doesn't that. Doesn't it sound like, it's like, you guys, racial reconciliation is a thing of the past. Let's start preaching white supremacy, guys. And <laughs> it does. By the way, that title could totally be used for, like, a KKK recruitment article. Yes. Yes. Actually, when I first, somebody first sent this to me, 
I thought I, I, without knowing what it was, I saw the title and I thought this was going to be, oh, great. This is someone who's moved over into white supremacy now. Ugh, right? But right. that just goes to show you how similar we've talked about before. My old ideology, social justice ideology and white supremacy have so much in common. They're both collectivists. They're both racist, completely racist. And they, they both say the best way to look at the world is, is as a competition between identity groups, race being one of those groups. And to treat people and judge them differently on the basis of race and not treat them as individuals. It has so much in common with white supremacy. So I just wanted to read a couple things from this because it, this is so it, – it's disgusting. But I think you have to – I think you have to look at some of this stuff and be aware that it's moving in so that you can confront it when it moves into – if you're not in a church, when it moves into your workplace or in your kid's school. or. But the fact that it's moved into the church is one of the most – awful i think because if you can take if you can take a re- something that is itself a religion and a way of, a belief system and a way of looking at the world and you can infect it with this other belief system that's really cr- that's really it is an infection yeah it's an totally infection. it's more that it's different um when it infects a school right there there's not necessarily one system of belief in a public school I mean, there kind of is state as I don't know. Maybe, I, but, I think it's worse when that but, affects a school, right? I mean, but I mean, it's not subverting a dominant system of belief. This is this shows how powerful it oh, is. Oh, I see what you're saying. You don't like it because it's it's yeah. yeah, but I mean, it subverts everything. So any institution yeah. with a system of belief it subverts that. Yeah, totally. right. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying didn't it, didn't it ruin? I'm not. I wasn't. I, so I've been an atheist for a while, but like I I got out of the idea of having to argue with people about atheism a long time ago. So I wasn't around for the new atheist movement that I think like James Lindsay and a lot of those people were around yeah. for. Didn't it, didn't it like destroy them as well? Didn't they it all fracture as well? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying anything's, I, I'm not saying this is worse. Just let me be clear. I'm saying this, when bad, it, yeah. when it destroys another system of belief that shows you its true power. It's not moving into a vacuum. There's not a vacuum here where, hey, there's no system of belief here. This thing moves in and, and becomes a system of belief. It's moving into a place where there is a system of belief, and it's squashing it and replacing it. Yep. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, um, and, and so, the scary thing is it did that in uh, Christianity, and it did it without Christianity. And if you, like, yeah, it yeah. does it everywhere. I, I don't—and I would, I would actually argue it probably even did it to Marxism. It did. Right? Like, did it to it Marxism. Marxism. It, it, it killed it, Marxism. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's done it everywhere. It's like it's like the HIV of ideas. It, like, goes and takes over the T-cells and... Yeah. Yeah, and it makes everything work for it. Everything yes. gets converted into little zombies that work for it. So, uh, so this person, I just, I just want to... First of all, this is poorly written. But let's hear about this person's background. Um, beginning with the not guilty verdict of George Zimmerman and gaining momentum with the murder of Michael Brown in the fall of 2014, Black Lives Matter revealed the limits of the racial reconciliation model espoused by many evangelical organizations in the 90s. I watched as white Christians and people of color submitted to whiteness. Okay, now, they never define what whiteness is. And Michael they Brown tro- wasn't murdered. I just want to point that out. Like right, Michael but, Brown was not murdered, but let's just to ah, get to this point. Submitted sorry, to angry. whiteness. What does okay. that mean? Ask them to define whiteness because they can't. And and I think getting into a little, I, I totally hear you, Carter. But if 
if if this were a person who sent you this, a friend who sent you this, which is the case of someone who sent I know, it to me, it's they said it's not essential point. I know you're it's right. not essential point because you're going to get in the weeds on Michael Brown, and they're not going to listen to anything else you have to say because you're telling them that something they believe to be fact is not true. So don't even go there. Just ask them what is whiteness. Yep, that would be nice. My, my no, no, I agree. I think that's probably the smartest strategy because ask. In fact, I I told that advice to someone recently. Like, ask them to define terms that sound weird to you because, like, usually they yeah. can't. So, yeah. and if they what do define whiteness, whiteness uh, it'll be very evident that they're a white supremacist, by the way. Yeah. And say, and if, when they define whiteness, ask them, is that, is that also the way that white supremacists would define whiteness? Cause they, cause their definition is very similar to, they're like, uh, whiteness is the system of, of well, this is how, a little bit different than white supremacy. They say it's a system of oppression, but they say, what is whiteness? Well, it's the idea of like using reason and logic and the idea that uh, people should be on time to things and the idea, the, the belief in meritocracy and of hard work uh, and, and individualism. Right. So those don't, believing that those are whiteness, that doesn't perpetuate any negative black stereotypes. Right. <laughs> so uh, here we go. So she says, I watched as white Christians and people of color submitted to whiteness. Okay, what does that mean? Responded again and again with denial of systemic injustice. Okay, well, first of all, if they're denying systemic injustice, the burden is on you to define what systemic injustice you're talking about. And again, they can never truly define it. Ask them to define it. Because... I guarantee you nine times out of 10, they don't know what they're actually talking about. And when you ask them to define systemic racism or systemic injustice, they will give you individual examples. So they, they, they say they're arguing on this big collectivist systemic level, but then when they provide examples, it's a very individual anecdotal. This, I know this friend that this happened to them. Okay. That's like, that's an individualist level right and 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 when when they when they do try and appeal to like actual stats um what they will do is they'll appeal to outcome differences and the question to ask them then is like well how do you know that's what it's due to like right how do you know right oh black people are uh are in are disproportionately in prison okay well why how do you know? Have you looked up any of the stats? How do you know that it's racism that's causing that, right? Black people are in the NBA. Does that mean it's racist? No. Like, they're disproportionately in the NBA and in prison. Like, why is systemic racism automatically the answer in one case, but not at all the answer in the other case, right? Yeah. They can't. How they do, can't. They can't. Uh, disregard for the lived experience of black people. Now, this is a word. They, they love this phrase, lived experience. There is no lived experience of black people as a group. There's no one experience. There's no one black experience, just like there's no one white experience. It is a lie. What they're trying to tell you is, we've talked about this before, but they are trying to pretend like this belief system is the voice of black people. And this belief system is the lived experience of black, that the lived experience of black people culminates in this belief system. No, it doesn't. They do not speak for black people. They don't speak for any group. They, this doesn't speak for any group and they will they will go after and demonize and target for harassment and for um, mockery any black person who speaks against this belief system. That's why right. they hate anyone who talks against it, especially when they're people of color. Um, but they don't speak the lived experience. There is no lived experience of black people. Ask there's them a li- there's lived experience of a black right. person. Right. That, that's what so, there is. 
do you believe I would I would say do you believe that all black people have the same lived experience and that they all have the same opinions and they all speak with the same voice? Do you think white supremacists believe that all black people have the same experience and the same speak have the same opinions and speak with the same voice? Do you look at do you look at an individual black person primarily as an individual or do you look at them as a group? Do you look at them and say black black people? Do you think white supremacists look at a black person as an individual as a, or as a member of a group like black people? They they are collectivists. You have to kind of show them that they're collectivists sometimes because it's crazy. They can they speak collectivism, but it's almost like they're in denial of what they're speaking. Um, I'm I'm just I'm not going to read the whole thing because I know we have to go soon. But I want to scroll down to um, well, here's one. But before I go down further, silence in the pulpit. They don't mean silence in the pulpit. There's no person. There's no preacher who's who's standing at a pulpit pit and not speaking. What they mean by silence is what they mean when they say silence is violence, which is also a lie. They mean if you are not speaking this ideology, then we're going to say that you're silent, which is a lie. And we're going to say your silence is violence, which is a lie. But that's what they mean. Silence in the pulpit. No, they mean non-compliance in the pulpit, non-compliance with this belief system in the pulpit. That's the problem. That's what she sees as the problem. Preachers who are not speaking this woke cult bullshit yep um deeply ingrained superiority regarding issues of race where define it again you're saying things that are really weighty and heavy these are heavy accusations where is it if you can't point it out how are people supposed to root it out is it that where they don't expect black people ingrained? to show up on time oh wait no that's right that was your side that's theirs that's what they believe right <laughs> right yeah they're superior. They have superior superiority beliefs. Anyway, uh, fixation on intentions over outcomes. Hey, guess what? This is something else. They always attack. They like to attack intent and say intent doesn't matter. It's only it, what I perceive matters. So Carter, if you you said you said or did something to me, and I'm like that was deeply sexist, Carter. It's because I'm a woman. And if you said, oh, that's not how I intended at all. Here, let me explain what I meant. All I have to say as an SJW is your intent doesn't matter, Carter. I perceived it as sexist, therefore it is sexist. No, yeah. that's not how reality works. Intentions do matter. And outcomes, well, and I, yeah. Yeah, I just want to also say, like, outcomes, they are the, they are the ones fixated on outcomes, right? Yeah. What they are, they're conflating, because you actually don't even have to talk about intentions. Right, my argument that there isn't a systemic, like systemic racism embedded everywhere, has nothing to do with intent. I'm not saying that there aren't. Like, I don't have to make an argument about intent. Right. Likewise, you can't make an argument that outcomes are different. Therefore, systemic racism. You have to look right. for causes beyond. You can look for causes beyond either one of those. Right. Intent isn't necessary. There are differences between how people behave. I don't know why. You could research that too, but that's like extra taboo to have that discussion, right? But there are differences. People are behaving in different ways. So that's why the outcomes are different. And there, there's, you don't have to examine intent behind that. There's no intent discussion that's necessary. You can just look at the language, right? There's no, there's no racially codified language treating people differently. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. You no, want to read more of this? Point. Or? 
No, great point. Yeah, I just want to point out how um, throughout this article, she does something, she does reveal something very important. She attacks individualism repeatedly in this piece. She calls individualism uh, toxic. She calls it um, uh, not parasitic. There's another word she used that's just uh, as if it pathological here pathological individualism. So this tells you, again, what we said, this ideology is a collectivist ideology. It doesn't view people as individuals. It views people as groups, just like white supremacy. It's the same, it's the same coin, different side of that collectivist coin. But, but so this paragraph here, she says, I had to ask why those discipled by the racial reconciliation framework were so ill-equipped to, now she says, engage, learn from, and respond to a movement focused on systemic and institutionalized institutionalized racial injustice. What she means is, why were these people not becoming like indoctrinated fast enough into my cult and speaking my cult beliefs from the the from the uh, pulpit? Why? Why were they not getting indoctrinated fast enough? And why were they not speaking this it's, indoctrination? It's like a, it's like a cancer up? saying like, hey, why is the immune system working? There's something yes. wrong. <laughs> Watch the immune system. You're great. That's great. Yeah. I'll discuss three reasons. Now, this is a person saying, this is like a cult member saying three reasons why our cult beliefs are not taking hold fast enough. One, individualistic theology. That's her number one enemy. Individualism. But that is a good reason why the idea isn't taking hold. Yeah. That's, that's, that's She's true. right. Yeah. She's right. She's right. Because guess what? Individualism is the antidote to collectivism and so she has to try and destroy individualism that's what they do they try and destroy it and by, by um, the way I, I i tweeted this out the other day because of this not this article but like yeah i i realized that like you know what actual anti-racism is what individualism well duh yeah individualism <laughs> is anti anti-racism yeah. is individualism <laughs> like that's yeah. what that is actual anti-racism is called Individualism. individualism that's what it's called period uh, you don't make up a new word yeah. called anti-racism it already exists it's called individualism that's what it is yeah sorry but Go when ahead. they say anti when they say anti-racism they mean racism that's what they call yeah. their their racism they have to give their racism a new word anti-racism it's racism um so so she says so here are the enemies in her opinion here's a cult member unintentionally revealing the the, what she views as what the the barriers to her cult progressing further uh individualism uh she says a sanitized version of history well actually i, I here's the thing about history this is i think this is pro projection carter what do you think because they I, think I, they know a lot about history but they don't yeah i don't know that i would i don't know that i would say it's a sanitized version of history i mean uh, I think here's the thing. I would take that with um, I would take that argument with more weight if she was uh, advocating, which I'm sure she's not. If she was advocating for a very complete, balanced historical um, approach. So, for example, maybe you would talk about the first slaves coming in 1619, but you would also talk about how. Uh, you would also talk about the founding of America in the in the on the principles upon which it was founded. And when you talked about abolitionism, you would talk about how the abolitionists cited 
the Constitution, Declaration of Independence more than the Constitution, but they cited the founding documents. You would talk about individualism being what made America unique. Like you would have this discussion and in the context of like, and here are some things that maybe don't get talked about because history is written often by the people. I won't say history is not written by, written by the winners. That's, I don't think that's true. History is written by the intellectuals who survive. That's what it's written right. by, right? So, um, so I would say that uh, in the 20th century, the history was mostly written by Marxist intellectuals because there's who survived. <laughs> like it's mostly yeah. Howard Zinn and like people like the, it's not, uh, it's not that. So I don't think that she means what she says. When what she means by that is that uh, the folk, because you can tell from how they treat history generally. We only focus on uh, all burdens being, like, all sin is part of white culture and Christian culture, and uh, we don't talk about, like, when she says a more complete version of history, do we say, oh, so we're going to talk about how the tribes that were in North America were cannibalistic and murdering each other, most, like, a lot of them were, and some of them were peaceful. We're going to talk about the abhorrent behavior of the no. a lot of the Native Americans, no. and we're going to talk about the... Uh, that it was actual Africans who sold other Africans into slavery. And actually, slavery had been going on in Africa for quite some time. Like, are we going to talk about that in the context of the evils of slavery in America as well? No, right? So No, because they have to make what it, white, what they call whiteness, but they really mean white people. They have to make that the villain. They can't well, talk and, about and, and again, because humanity. she's a white supremacist, yes. yeah, she's focused. Yes. She's like obsessed with white culture. They are obsessed she's, with white culture. It's weird how obsessed they are everything they ascribe, she wants a history that's all about how evil white culture is that's it so that's they, just wants. like white supremacists they ascribe a whole bunch of stuff to white people and white culture that is is wrongly ascribed to white people and white culture they try to say all these things belong to this is just white white culture is about this like bo both like the bad things that have happened in history and the good things they try and say like what are you talking about? the values of the enlightenment oh that's all white culture you know, right. or, and slavery, that's all white culture. It's all, no, you're looking at things with a racial lens. Guess what? You're going to see everything with a racial lens because those are the glasses you're wearing. Take right. those glasses off and try and be objective. Um, so anyway, so I don't, I, I, the first I one I agree with, the second one and third one, I think she's bullshitting on, but that's. Yeah, you know. good old white centering. Ask her to find that, right? Yeah. So this part here, this, I'm, I'm about to get at it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The whole thing is massively, it's just a bunch of, it is revolting. Um, especially for someone who claims to be um, a believer in Christ, this is, this is revolting what she's doing. This, in my opinion, is what the Bible talks about when it says taking the Lord's name in vain. You are using God to spew something that is a perversion of Christianity. And that is one of the, I think, one of the worst things you can do. It's, it's evil. Um, so here she says, uh, um, the term racial reconciliation serves the dominant culture. It's certain. No, guess what? The dominant culture is your belief system. Now it's your ideology. It serves white people and those who align with whiteness. The term reckon. I like that. She has a little out there for any person of color who doesn't speak her evil ideology. Well, those are people of color who align with whiteness, right? right. <laughs> the term reconciliation is relational in nature. And though relationships are important, the focus on relationships is anchored in white theologies, pathological individualism. Jesus died for my sins 
Jesus went to the cross for me. I know the plans he has for me. So here she goes on to attack individualism and to try and do it by using Jesus. It, it is one of the most revolting things I've ever seen. I'm not, again, you should guys should read this, especially if you're, if you're a Christian, read this so you know what's moving into the churches. Uh, it's, this is from it's a site called Inheritance Magazine, and it's by Erna Kim Hackett. Uh, it is about an eight-minute read, they say. Uh, but just read through this and notice how many times she attacks individualism. That's my that's yeah. my little well, rant. I mean, look, this is the thing. They know they know their enemies, right? They know. I mean, they know like ideologically, they know individualism is the enemy. They know that. They know Western culture is the enemy. They know that. Yeah. Um. You know, this isn't. Uh, you know, they know who they're going after. Let's do a few super chats here, because uh, we have some. Uh, let's see. Teresa, the kid says, "Thank you, Teresa." She says, uh, "My bro blocked me in 2016." He was a webmaster for HRC. He took it so personal because I vote for Trump. He won't speak to me or send birthday cards to my kids. Well, I mean, this has really torn a lot of uh, families apart, right? And friends. I mean, a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's it's sad. But this ideology, when everything's viewed in black and white, and um, it, not only is it black and white, everything's catastrophized, right? It's not just that yeah. uh, you're, you're evil, part of the evil white culture, or whatever. It's that, you know, everything is catastrophized. Trump is literally Hitler. Like everything is about, you know, the, the reason that, that the image of that woman that dropped to her knees and screamed at the sky when Trump was elected, right? The, the reason for that is she, she like believed that this was a, like the end of the world. This is a catastrophe, He's going to start rounding people up and put them into boxcars. Like everything is catastrophized, yeah. everything. Um, and you saw that, you know, in our conversation we had recently with Benjamin Boyce, if you watch some of the videos of the students, right? They, they, they're like, I'm afraid that I'll just be killed when I walk outside. It's everything. It's this catastrophic yeah. hyperbolic thing. Um, every little, uh, every tiny little inconvenience or tiny little piece of discomfort is blown out of proportion to be a someone else's problem someone else's cause because of your race and a catastrophe you're going to die everything is like that um so yeah i mean it, it that's it leads to rifts in between families um daniel keen thank you for the super chat he says carry swear you, jar actually a couple people gave you a swear jar kent also ah! kent, a new for chuck he says also for your swear jar fund because you carry cannot oops there's kent's super chat cannot you swore carry I'm sorry I said the BS word. You know you guys are incentivizing swearing by doing this, but that's <laughs> beside the point. <laughs> I don't mind. Incentivize swearing. Um, let's see. Another super chat from Jen says, um, thank you, Jen. Uh, go, Carter, go. Individualism. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, individualism is the... It's moral. I mean, I don't know. It, it, like, It's the moral pillar of our entire civilization is individualism. And... It's the antidote. Uh, I'm not the only one who recognized that. I mean, every abolitionist appealed to individualism. Like, this is not, you know, this is not new. This isn't a new theory. Uh, we all know uh, yeah. that individualism is the uh, is is the foundation for a moral culture, actually, completely. And there isn't cultural equivalence between individualism and collectivism. It's not just different ways of knowing or different ways of being or different ways of running a society that are equivalent. Individualism is a superior 
cultural norm. It's superior. It recognizes individual right. rights, and individuals have rights. So, you know, we need to st we need to stop apologizing for that. By the way, here's a little bit of history. Since you mentioned in our last episode about Juneteenth, you you read some quotes from abolitionists, and I had reason to hear over the weekend a little bit about the guy who wrote the, the hymn Amazing Grace. Everybody knows that hymn, even if it's you're not a Christian. Hymn. It's a great hymn. Do you know about the guy who wrote it? I know nothing about it other than the um, music. So John Newton was his name. He was uh, an English Anglican cler clergyman and an abolitionist. But he, he didn't start off an abolitionist. He worked on slave trader ships. And he himself then, uh, at some point, he was taken. He was a white guy, but he mm -hmm. himself became a slave for a while of uh, Princess Pei. He got a little uh, competence there. Yeah, he himself was a slave, and then he also owned. I think he. I think he owned his own slave ships for a while, but then he had a conversion to Christianity, and he renounced slave trading, and he became a, a prominent and loudmouth abolitionist who spoke about the evil of what he used to do and believe in and justify. Anyway, if, if you guys, I didn't know the history of the guy who wrote that song, Amazing Grace, so I thought it was pretty cool if you guys want to read about someone. Um, but, you know, they're not going to teach you about people like that, <laughs> you know. And that's an they would say, that's an individual, individuals, you know, that's an individual who changed his beliefs. In that article, I didn't finish reading it, but she actually, actually attacks one of the things that one of the beliefs that I think is foundational to Christianity, which is which is this whole idea of and it's not just to Christianity, it's to other this idea of, you know, that quote, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm. And this was revolutionary for me when I started leaving the cult was the was realizing that that if you it's sort of like what Jordan Peterson talks about. If you want to change the world, quit focusing on all this external stuff, like change yourself. Change the way you relate to the world. Make your bed. Change yourself. This is where change happens is internal. The biggest changes happen here. And then because you're behaving differently, like if you go out into the world and you try and make sure that your beliefs that are reflected in your behavior, you're going to change people just because of the way you're treating them is different. Like you are something's different about you. You are making sure that your behavior reflects your beliefs, which a lot of people don't do anymore. And, and so there's this idea in Christianity of, I mean, this is where the change happens. If, if when people say, well, God's going to change your life, it doesn't mean, I heard a preacher say this this weekend, it's not like you're going to go home and get a check for $100,000 in the mail. It's not some external change. It's a change that happens in you. And, and, and that change then has external, creates external changes as well. But this, this is an internal thing, right? You're changing internally. She mocks in this piece the idea of, uh, of racial reconciliation, of of the power of individuals to create change just by treating people better and treating people as individuals. She mocks this. Yep. She says this is an individual thing that you're talking about, like as if you can heal systemic racism with hugs. And it's like, yeah, actually, you can. Actually you can. You idiot. Yeah. Yeah, you idiot. Yeah. Yes, you can. If the next how generation doesn't have any racism in their bones and they only have hugs, you will heal it within a generation. Like yes. That's, that's what happens. That's, I can't that's the only way you can heal it, actually. Stand it. Uh, yeah, she's <laughs> arguing on behalf of some kind of totalitarian force 
you know, forcing systemic change at the butt of a gun. Inevitably, that's what that means at the butt of a gun with force. And that's how you change the world. No, it's not. You callous, hypocritical toad. You change yourself first. And I'm sorry you lost sight of that. She has a toad. (laughs) Sorry, that was a good one. Okay. Anyone call anyone a toad before? That was good. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. She's hypocritical, and uh, you know, and one of the things that's um, I don't know if it's all Christianity, but I think certainly Protestantism uh, is focused on your relationship. You know, it's a very personal relationship you're supposed to have with God yourself and answer individually to for your own uh, behavior. Right? You're not responsible for other people's behavior, and and you're not you're less part of a collective. Um, and I think a lot of thinkers. I mean, there are certainly the people who derive rights from natu- natural rights from just nature who didn't use uh, deist roots, but uh, a lot of deist thinkers also uh, and Christian thinkers used uh, used that relationship with God as the foundation for uh, individual rights. So yeah. she's attacking yes. she's attacking Christianity because it's been used in the service of individualism in a way that she doesn't like. Um, yeah. And she wants Christianity to go, if it could be more of a collectivist Christianity, she'd be happy with it. But she doesn't like yes. the service to individuals. She wants to remake Christianity into something it's not. Right. Right. So, uh, Carrie, this is long, but I, I, was, yeah. I don't know if we should, I mean, we can end it. There was a letter that someone wrote me that I wanted to read. I don't know when I'm going to have a chance to do it and respond if I don't do it on the show, but I guess I could do it later. Um, hey, why don't we do an impromptu show this week just answering letters or whatever? All right. Let's do that. We'll do another show later because this has been two hours and I kind of I kind of yeah. don't think we should keep going. We, um, let's not keep going. Let's do another one this week. And by the way, we're going to launch a new show. Uh, so if you guys want to start, I'm not sure when we're launching it, but if you want to start sending questions, we want to try something a little different that's more lighthearted and not lighthearted necessarily, but maybe more personal and less about culture well, and less I would about say more politics. Personal. Yeah. More personal. We want to do an advice show. You may not believe this, but Carter is one of the best. He gives the best relationship advice. <laughs> he really does. You're like the, the jury's out on that, I guess. We'll see. You're like the boot camp guy who, you know, you've got your friends who will just kind of coddle you and they or don't want to say anything. I will too tell upsetting. you. Yeah, I will you're tell you. You're not that person. Yeah, I don't do that. Carter will be like, he's like the cold water to the face of relationship problems. <laughs> yeah, I do do that. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly the answer is it's your fault. Uh, whatever you're complaining <laughs> about, like you have a role in it. So own up to it. Uh, yeah. But anyway. If you have questions for Carter, we'll come up with a new email address eventually. But right now, you can send any relationship advice questions to Carter. at Yeah, speak at unsafespace.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have a new email. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. But yeah, I did get a non-relationship question. But it's kind of personal, but then kind of not personal, which is what... So maybe we'll do an impromptu... just answering people's questions show. I we, we should because we have enough followers now. Yeah, let's I don't like the word followers. Questions. Our community is big enough now that we've got a lot of people contributing. And by the way, can I say something about community? I my favorite thing about this show right now, and I'm not saying this to be sappy. My favorite thing is the community. You guys, um, I'm not in I'm not in Telegram chat often, but I zoom in once in a while. But like. The, the antidote to all this stuff, I know a lot of people are really depressed because there's a lot of people that are wondering, myself included, uh, is it kind of inevitable that, like, is, is civil war and or breakup 
inevitable at this point? Have we lost? Like, there's a lot of people struggling with that question. And look, the antidote to all of that is to have, we can build our own community. And you guys are doing a great job of building a community that is sometimes disagrees with each other, uh, with me, with Carrie, but we're respectful uh, always with each other and supportive of individualism generally, even if we disagree on tactics. And, uh, you know, that community, like, that's what saves us. If the world goes to shit, that community is what saves us. Like, your your world is very largely who you're around. Like, that that's your world. Like, yeah, there's people in Washington passing crappy laws, but, you know, and, and you guys have been great, and you're building a you're building an awesome community like that. And I just can't wait for it to grow. And, and so thank you guys. And I did, yeah, and I, I did zip into the knitting chat on Saturday. Tara didn't even notice. I wanted to make sure it was going well. And then I felt like a creeper because, uh, I didn't have my video on because I just gotten out of the pool and my hair was all crazy and whatever. Uh, so I left my video off and I felt like a creeper. So I left, but they had a knitting <laughs> chat apparently. And it was good. So. That's awesome. I, I want to second that and say, yes, I love the community. And, you know, I was talking to my fellow this morning. And we, were, we were saying, you know, what a world we're living in right now. What a world. But I really believe we we can build a better world. I mean, obviously, Even I Even if it's just that. a better corner of the world, that's where you start. Like, you start obviously, with cleaning your that. room. You start with and building your own community, yes, right? Same thing. And, and to go back to what we were saying, you build a better world here first. Right. You build it internally. You're not – it's not about, oh, let me – bring men with guns and an army and an authoritarian state to enforce my views and just tell everyone else how they need to live. No, fix yourself, yeah. fix yourself first. And if you don't, if the person who's attacking, fixing yourself, that woman, that piece, that's cause she hasn't fixed herself. It's cause there's a bunch of crap in here. She hasn't addressed. Yeah. She doesn't believe that that's possible. Yeah. Because you haven't cleaned house, clean right. your and house. No one's expecting you to be perfect. And we all have dirty bedrooms at some point, but like, yeah, you know, the focus is on, yeah, on, I would say on fixing yourself. And if we want to take it all the way back to the beginning of the show, it's get confronted with that uncomfortable thought and choose to think that's the decision you need to make. Yeah. Exercise that free will when it's uncomfortable. Think. Yeah. Think. It'll get easier. Um, all right. We now we have to put up a few super chats because we delayed the ending. Okay, and then so, we'll take it off. Thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you, little ragamuffin. She says, you cannot impose truth through violence or force. Uh, no, in fact, um, <laughs> usually violence and force are only necessary because you're not speaking the truth. Uh, but um, I guess unless you're fighting liars. Um, okay. Next one, Sugar Waters. Thank you, Sugar Waters. Sugar Waters says, I want to hear Carter's take on relationships. I loved his parenting video. Uh, we can have a we'll have relation discussions coming on. I need to do more parenting stuff um, because it's a it's a lot closer to my heart than the content of our channel would lead you to believe. And I think if we actually, you know, the way to fight this in the end, it's kids. That's the only way to fight this. It's raising kids properly. That is the only way because. If you have people with psychological damage and undermined abilities to think entering the world, they will adopt some crazy ideology and destroy us all. You need the kid. The kids are the only answer to this. And I know it's a long-term answer, but it's literally the only solution. Um, Tax Tara, thank you, Tax Tara. She says the unsafe safe knitters love you. Uh, Tax Tara ran the uh, unsafe knitting chat, and there's another one next week, so you can join that on Saturday. Um, and 
Another one from Kem, Ken Lipson. Thank you, Ken. Thank Ken you, says, Ken. thank you, guys. Okay. I think we have gone through all the Drilling. chats. So I have to end before anyone yeah. else super chats us again. Thank you very much, guys. You, guys. Hey, have a great club, weekend. Book oh, club yes. is coming up uh, uh, on Sunday, Sunday, guys. So you still have time to read Ordinary Men. You can also listen to it on audiobook. It's a tough read, but I think really necessary for the times that we're in. And we hope to see you there. So yep. Sunday. Yep. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Take care. Cool. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 97.8% chance that these are all rushing bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. I wonder what's on Netflix right now. Probably something very interesting. That last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.